Ambrose Restaurants. The SCP universe deals primarily with the supernatural. It has anomalies that are supernaturally strong, supernaturally durable, fast, virulent, explosive, and so on and so on. Of course then, it's going to have anomalies that are supernaturally delicious. And when you have anomalous communities, you're going to have anomalous restaurants. This brings us to Ambrose Restaurants, a chain that caters primarily to anomalous communities and deals in strange and unusual delicacies. Unlike some food anomalies known to the SCP Foundation, Ambrose doesn't really serve up anything overly grotesque or horrific, instead serving up food that the average person would likely enjoy, if they knew about it. Let's dig in. Not a great deal is known about the origins of the Ambrose restaurant chain, other than that it was founded by a Mr. Chaz Ambrose. Ambrose is believed to be nearly a baseline human, but with some minor anomalous properties. The co-owner of the organization is an individual named Marius, believed to control the business side of operations. The organization contains an unknown number of individuals, although there are presumably at least hundreds of employees involved, as Ambrose Restaurants has locations around the world, and even includes a hotel in at least one location. Outside of the actual staff at the physical locations, there are presumably a number more employees on the back end of things, handling logistics, legalities, and procurement, as well as Ambrose's other ventures, such as commercials and television programs. Chaz is an extremely hands-on owner, however, and is often involved in all public-facing matters to do with the restaurants. The organization is, as expected, a non-hostile one, so there are only real interactions with groups such as the SCP Foundation or the GOC involve them fleeing to avoid capture. They generally confine their restaurant locations to various anomalous freeports around the world, areas reserved for anomalous individuals and activity, such as Three Portlands, so they're often left alone if no trouble arises. That being said, they do operate in secretive locations in some major cities, including London, New York, and San Francisco. They also have a good business relationship with some other anomalous groups of interest, including the Circus of the Disquieting, whom they purchase Midnight Cotton Candy and Kraken Egg Caviar from, and of course Marshall Carter and Dark. They provide culinary expertise to MC&D when required, as MC&D deal in all anomalous products, and in return they get discounts on certain supplies, as well as a steady supply of Siberian Firebird. There are a handful of SCPs contained by the Foundation connected to Ambrose restaurants, but the best way to learn more about the group is to look at some of their notable locations, each of which showcases their unique menu of anomalous delicacies. Let's start with the London location, which serves a four-course prefix meal, with an optional wine selection. The first course consists of the choices of cockatrice potstickers, prepared with demanding care to ensure that no poison is in the meat, and is noted for a sour and creamy taste. Baked Potato Bug Crickets which are entirely composed of potato matter and deep fried for flavor, garnished with bacon, sour cream, onion, and melted cheese. And Yesterday's Bruschetta, which is grilled toast topped with olive oil, tomato, and mozzarella notable for having all of its ingredients sourced from at least 100 years in the past using time travel techniques. The second course consists of Eternal Stew, a perpetual stew that has been in production for over two millennia. Lunar Gruyere Fondue, sourced from the demons of Livania, renowned for their dairy products, and served with a rotating selection of types of bread. And finally, Alexilvin Corn Soup, 
a recipe sourced from the Culinary Institute of Alexilva, blending ancient Roman and American Cherokee cooking, containing three varieties of corn blended with cheese and honey. As for the main course, you're given the choice of a crab-stuffed mushroom, taken from a hard-to-reach forest in northern Oregon, and stuffed with three different species of crab, the Alaska King, the Marianas Blue, and the Greek Behemoth. Second is the Caviar Platter, a choice selection of eight exotic varieties of caviar, including colacanth, the Salmon of Knowledge, and Kraken Egg Caviar, sourced from a kraken that attacked the Fey Isle of High Brazil in 1988. Third is the Five Senses Linguini, designed to induce temporary, artificial, total sensory synesthesia, allowing the customer to experience food on every level, and served with a house-made pesto. As for dessert, the choices include Dragon's Baked Alaska, prepared fresh at the table using the breath of one of Ambrose's in-house miniature domesticated dragons, giving the meringue a clean and smooth taste. Volcano Cake, a simple chocolate lava cake that erupts with melted chocolate after being served, and has a dark, smooth taste with a slightly spicy kick. And Fruit of the Gods, a selection of rare and mystical fruits from across the world, including underworld pomegranate seeds, Eldoradin golds, derived from the common orange, and brandy-infused strawberries. Wine choices include the Champagne of Youth, magically treated to ameliorate the effects of advanced age for a brief time, Thousand-Year Merlot, which has been aged in a temporal isolation vault with a vastly accelerated time differential, and Rubedo Reserve, sourced directly from Alagada and transmuted from human blood using forbidden alchemy, although it's noted that no humans were killed in its production. It possesses a distinctive taste with notes of blood, dry paper, and a blue cheese finish. Together, the meal will set you back 700 pounds, or 850 if you include wine. A review for the location notes that the service was impeccable and polite, the meals were cooked and served quickly, and everything was delightful in taste. It was pricey, but nowhere else in the world can one dine upon kraken eggs, or have a live dragon come to the table. The reviewer does mention that the baked potato bug dish calls to mind a lower class of dining, but they found it to be excellently prepared, and its exotic origin made up for the base subject matter, being spawned from the conceptual ideal of a potato. The only negative they have to say about the place is that they were not able to eat everything, and thus eagerly await their next visit. Next up, we have Ambrose's location in Backdoor Soho, an anomalous Freeport location associated with the Soho neighborhood in Manhattan, popular with anomalous artists. The Ambrose restaurant here is presented in association with the Backdoor Soho Artistic Associates, Marshall Carter and & Dark, and the King of Hearts Art Collective. It's described as being part art show and part dining establishment, with a four-course meal inspired by contemporary backdoor dining, followed by a tour of an exclusive art gallery curated by MC&D, ending with a live performance. Compared to London, the price for the experience is much more reasonable, at $249, with an extra $49 for access to the Violet Gallery. We're provided a menu from a specific week from 2014, the first course of which consisted of the choice of Scarlet Calamari, the servitor beasts of the Scarlet King, stuffed with finely seasoned breadcrumbs in a creamy tomato sauce. Olney Corporate Crostini, roasted pork belly braised in a blood orange sauce and garnished with pickled red onions, served on Crostini 
sourced locally from the demon swine that eternally torment the executives of Olney Ironworks. And Margarita alla Lindholm, a Sicilian pizza made with buffalo mozzarella and a creamy tomato sauce, topped with fresh tomatoes and basil, bred by reclusive parabotanist Stella Lindholm. The second course consists of Weilstedt Matsfo Ball Soup, a Nalkin take on an Ashkenazi classic, consisting of Weilstetten meat moss that causes a consumer's flesh to rejuvenate right before their eyes, and is not recommended for pregnant women and cancer survivors, excepting experienced flesh crafters. Manhattan Shogoth Chowder, which consists of the squirming meat of a Shogoth in a rich tomato broth, and comes with seasoned crackers, which the meat will stuff itself with. It's noted that this meal contains meat, which comes from a source that is still alive, so it is in violation of the seventh Noahide law. Third is the perfect Waldorf, containing apples and grapes from the centennial trees of upstate New York's nameless forests, mayonnaise sourced from the eggs of platonic chickens, and walnuts annually self-trimmed from living trees dedicated to self-perfection. On to the main course, we have Delmonico Steak, which is described as being scientifically proven to taste better than and be more of a Delmonico Steak than those served at the Delmonico restaurants. Parmigiana without equal, which is eggplant parmigiana stuffed with chicken parmigiana forever, all the way down, and it's noted that this dish should not physically exist and you should order with caution. Finally, Primavera of the Old Gods, containing vegetables that were grown long before the advent of language and have no name, but make up for it with a distinctly unique taste. As for dessert, there's cheesecake, with an oddly printed cheese in the title, and the description tells you to focus on the cake and don't worry about the cheese, as some things were never meant to be known by the sapient. Black and white macaroons, representing a variety of chocolates and vanillas from across time and space, and no one knows when the shifting tides of the here and now will force them to change the recipe. Lastly, golden apple crumble, which the description states that there's nothing supernatural about these golden apples, but double-blind tests suggest that even the gods can't tell the difference. As for wines and spirits, there's clown milk egg cream bourbon, sourced from the circus of the disquieting, Bloody Mary on the rack, which consists of a jalapeno-infused vodka base and Lindholm tomato juice, garnished with a meter-tall freestanding sculpture of the chef's choice. And Golden Orange Cider, the signature drink of New York from another time and another world, with the oranges being guaranteed the mythological significance of that other world. As for the reviews, they start off well enough, with most of the praise being directed at the food, but the reviews begin to mention the presence of ghosts in the establishment, specifically ones that are weeping, gaunt, and dressed in poor quality clothing. The ghosts began to grow more vocal, begging customers to not turn off their heat and to give them two more weeks. The restaurant responds to these reviews by explaining that they are experiencing unexpected difficulties, but the problem continues to grow worse, along with the reviews. Eventually, the restaurant is forced to close down because of the ongoing ghost problem, cancelling reservations in the process. The last review listed is from the organization Gamers Against Weed, exclaiming that Ambrose has found their own Mrs. Gentrification a parody of Dr. Wondertainment's Little Misters line of anomalies. Let's look at one more Ambrose location before moving on. Ambrose Transylvania, which is presented as a thorough review titled 
For All the Damn Vampires by Sebastian LaCroix. I'll take the time to read this one out verbatim, as it offers a better look at Chaz Ambrose himself and the lengths the organization goes to to being accommodating to the anomalous world. Ambrose, Transylvania is an unusual location for the brand, as it is not exclusively a dining establishment, but also a five-star hotel. The complex sits just outside of Cluj-Napoca, in the peaceful foothills of the Carpathian Mountains. The region is historically popular with all manner of hemivores, ranging from the common vampire to the more strange and monstrous pale ones. Ambrose Transylvania caters specifically to such entities. Although it is close enough to the city to make hunting easy, it also offers a variety of in-house dining that excels over traditional feeding. The hotel is divided into two portions, one above ground and the other underground. The above ground hotel does not carry the Ambrose name, and is marketed simply as an ordinary inn. Ambrose Transylvania, on the other hand, is the true resort, located underground and only serving blood. I recently was invited to meet with Chaz Ambrose at Ambrose Transylvania, both to review the hotel and restaurant, but also to interview him. Despite our frequent reviews of his establishments, Chaz has never given Walden Studio an interview before. I was honored to have the privilege, although I am the only vampire that works for the studios, and was therefore the only appropriate choice. It would be nice to eat at a venue that specifically caters to me, and not just one for general cannibals. Mr. Ambrose was waiting for me when my coffin arrived into the dark chambers of the hotel. The entry foyer is deep underground, far enough in that sunlight doesn't penetrate. It is lit by a few dim torches, creating a level of light perfect to our kind and our adapted vision. Ambrose helped open up my coffin and pulled me out. He had a glass of blood ready for me to rouse me, and we each took a sip as soon as I woke up. He welcomed me to the hotel, as his guest, invoking all the ancient and profane rules of hospitality that govern our kind. We performed the rituals of hospitality, as I gave him a gift and him outlining the terms of my stay. He told me we would meet for dinner and the interview just before dawn on the second night of my stay, and in the meantime I was free to have the run of the place, as though I myself was the lord of the manor. The Hotel I have stayed in many hotels in my long unlife, many which have catered exclusively to hemivores like myself. I must say that out of all of them, Ambrose Transylvania is one of the finest establishments I have seen. It satisfies everything that I was looking for in such an establishment, and I hope to have the chance to stay there many more times over the coming centuries. Every part of the place is specifically designed to be a great experience for all hemivores to relax. The rooms themselves are comfortable and spacious. The style is antiquated, but this only makes it all the more familiar to a vampire. The modern and postmodern schools are too recent and strange for many of us, and it is always nicer to stay somewhere that doesn't make you feel like a bygone relic. Two of the major problems that Hemavore hotels always come across are the view out of your room and the fact you have to share your hotel with other vampires. Ambrose Transylvania has managed to solve both of these. The View No vampire can look outside during the day. No vampire can last for a moment in the sun. Although there are rare hemivores that can survive daylight, they are rare and almost never similar to humans. This means that we cannot see many of the best sights that a city may have to offer, and that many of the typical features are things we cannot look at. A cautious vampire, a good vampire, doesn't even like to be in a room that could get sunlight, even if they've cautiously boarded the place up. The only good places for us to have a hotel, one that caters specifically to our needs, is to put it underground. This is the only good solution to the problem of sunlight, but it does not come without complications of its own. 
Nonetheless, we want to look at something when we go to sleep, but the underground is rarely captivating. Ambrose Transylvania solves this problem by constructing all of the rooms on the shore of a vast and beautiful underground lake. The sight is nothing more than captivating, and lit in soulless electronic spotlights, it is not the kind of light that burns. Ambrose has solved one of the oldest desires of our kind, and done so in an excellent manner. There is no room in the hotel that does not have such captivating views. The Other Bloodsuckers There is nothing a vampire hates more than another vampire. We are infamous for our squabbles. Fights over feeding territory, the right to induct humans into our bloodlines, the grandiose games that elders play over human civilizations. Our humors are imbalanced, and blood dominates, with only a little yellow bile to balance it. We are excitable and quick to anger. So when you put any large number of us into one small confined space, the obvious occurs. It is up to the owner of each hotel to figure out how to fix this issue. I have seen many attempts over the years, not letting vampires interact with each other, how droll, blood bonding all hotel residents, how tyrannical, or with copious guards, how claustrophobic. Ambrose Transylvania's solution is not the most elegant I have ever seen, but it does the job well. The ground is ritually desecrated to a few dark blood gods, Chaz refused to tell me which he dedicated them to. Notably, these gods do not find our presence to be intolerable. In fact, it is the opposite. Harming one of our kind is the great sin. Violate it, and they shall smite thee down, revoking whatever sanguine bonds animate you. The solution is blunt, but it does not feel oppressive. As long as you do not harm another bloodsucker, the magic actually empowers and invigorates you while you are in the premises. You can interact with other vampires to your heart's delight without worrying about the potential danger of getting your own throat ripped out. The Dining After I had my time to explore the hotel room, it was time for dinner. I met with Chaz at dawn on the second night of my stay. It was getting late into the experience for me, as I am normally at rest during the time, or getting ready for it. I am not one to risk movement during the daylight hours. Chaz arrived at my door and waited for me to finish preparing, never crossing over the threshold. We then walked to the restaurant for an interview and a review. I shall divide my dining experience into three sections. The Food very few vampires can eat traditional food. Even if we are able to stomach it, we do not get much sustenance from it. More likely than not, however, we simply end up vomiting it all back out. But Ambrose Transylvania is a restaurant, and despite the inability of our bodies to consume food, we still find ourselves wanting to engage in the practices of the living. The venue wants to feed us, and we want to eat but how to make food that we are actually capable of consuming. The solution Chaz came up with, just use a lot of blood in the cooking process. If the food is bloody enough, then we'll be able to eat it and keep it down. Not only that, it'll be enough for us to get some form of sustenance out of it. We'll get the taste of whatever food we're eating and nutrition from all the blood that was involved in it. Of course, there are only so many recipes that can be converted to use a great amount of blood, so the menu is limited. Rather than a proper selection, it cycles through a small list of daily specials. This is not a major issue, since we cannot eat in many locations and anything is appreciated. The menu on the night I was there was two items, bloody brioche and blood sausage. The brioche was the first to arrive. It used a simple trick, the fact that blood can be used as a substitute for eggs, 43 grams of blood for a single egg. The bread itself was discolored red, but looked delicious. A single loaf was delivered to our table, which Chaz broke in half, giving one piece to me and keeping the other himself. The brioche was rich and sweet. 
Although brioche does not make the most sense for an appetizer, there are not many breads that use eggs and could be converted into a bloody version. Thus, brioche was one of the only options, and I was certainly glad to have it. I haven't eaten bread in a long time. The blood sausage was simple but delicious. The amount of fat and blood was somewhat poorly balanced according to normal metrics, but that only served to make it all the more suited to my kind. The sausage had been applewood smoked, giving it a sweet and smoky flavor that I fondly remembered from my living youth. I remembered hearing that Ambrose Transylvania would make you feel alive. I had some doubts as to whether this would be true or not, and assumed that the food would have some properties that either turned me alive briefly or changed my perceptions to think I was alive, or forced some grandiose vision upon me. None of that happened. The food is simply well cooked, delicious, and reminds you of better days. The Blood List Ambrose Transylvania has an ample and well-stocked blood list. There are over 200 varieties of blood listed, each in a variety of categories and traits. It was almost far too much blood to sort through. All of the standard options are present. Each ABO type, in both RH positive and RH negative, is carried, most with multiple donor options. All of the major options also have a virgin option, although it is slightly more expensive. Looking through the list, I saw that they had a few options from the Tuadadanin. I've never had the chance to sup on fey blood before, and this stood out to me as the most interesting option I could order. I doubted that I would ever have the chance to dine on it again, as the fair folk are not keen on allowing a leech to take their blood. It was one of the more pricey options on the menu, but Chaz simply laughed and told me to order what I wanted. So I took the fey blood. Since there was a virgin option and price was no object, I took the virgin option. I do not exclusively dine on such blood, but I do find it generally improves the taste. Chaz similarly took advantage of the long blood list and ordered female Skakithi blood for himself. For those unaware, the Skakithi are a race of large, sapient spiders who live alongside us. I have not had the chance to taste their blood before. The glasses were quick to arrive, each served in a fancy and impressive goblet. One of the selling points of the establishment is that they are able to keep blood fresh and prevent the life from leaving it. For proprietary reasons, I am unable to comment on the methods that they use to do this, but I can confirm that this is the case. The blood remains fresh and provides ample nutrition despite the past date of harvest. Chaz suggested that we each take a sip of the other's glass, as part of the ancient guest rites that we were following. I accepted, and we tasted each other's blood before our own. I found the Skakithi blood to be intolerably bitter, with strong smoke and almond notes. It was personally too strong for me, but I could see the appeal. It is certainly an acquired taste, one that I would not recommend for the newest fledglings of our kind. Of course, it is to be expected that Mr. Ambrose has a more refined palate. The Tuathan blood, on the other hand, was sweet, far sweeter than any other blood that I have ever consumed. Fortunately, it was not sweet enough to be sickening, sitting at a well-defined balance of clearly present without being overwhelming. There were strong notes of grapes and strawberries, along with more esoteric notes. It was overwhelmingly alive, despite the fact I was dining on old and extracted blood. Further, it was particularly potent. What I had filled me up far more than an average human's blood would have. All in all, by itself a great blood. However, there was also the second sight that the blood conferred on me when I drank it. Almost immediately after my first taste, I began to see colors alight in the air, dancing and shifting around me. These were not mere hallucinations, rather my eyes had been opened to the patterns of mana that drifted around me. 
I caught a glimpse of Chaz's aura under my sight, warm and open to me. As with many vampires, drugs and alcohol no longer have any effect on my unliving constitution. It is one of the great pleasures of being alive that I dearly miss. The she-blood does not have quite the same effect, but it is closer than anything I ever tasted before. It, if only for a brief moment, made me feel alive again, and that is a feeling I so rarely glimpse. The Live Dining But these are not the primary draws of Ambrose Transylvania. What everybody really wants when they visit is the live dining, to sink your teeth into a neck and draw blood. For a high enough price, Ambrose Transylvania will let you into the top half of the hotel to prey upon the human guests that are unfortunate to stay in the hotel. They will administer amnestics to the guest when you have finished, and clean everything up for you, a perfect opportunity to unleash and get as violent as you want. The upstairs section of the hotel has been specifically redecorated and refurbished to provide an excellent hunt. There are numerous false ends, hiding places that give themselves away, and secret passageways. A hotel huntmaster will discuss your plans with you, and control the hotel so there is only enough challenge to make it fun, not enough to actually put you at risk. I mentioned to Chaz that I wished to engage in the live dining, and he laughed, saying it was one of the most popular facets of the hotel. Given the time, only about 15 minutes before dawn, he told me he would stay downstairs while I went up, as there was not much time to hunt. When I asked if he was still hungry, he explained that, as the founder and owner of Ambrose, all of the employees of the brand were his servants, and it was his right to feed upon them. He snapped his fingers and called the waiter over, explaining that he would simply feast on the waiter while I went up. Therefore, I took the elevator up alone. The huntmaster called me and explained my options. There was a single patron still awake at the time, reading in one of the libraries. No other guests were active in the hotel. He could wake up another, but I didn't think that was necessary. The guest who was awake would make an ideal target. The elevator doors opened into a wide foyer with large windows. I could see the sky beginning to grow light. I'd have to be quick about this. I shifted into the form of a large wolf and entered the library. I toyed with him for a moment, sitting just in the corner of his vision, waiting for him to turn and notice I was there. It wasn't particularly long, about thirty seconds, but it was enough to be enjoyable. He yelped and screamed, starting the chase. His first attempt was to run back to his room, not far away. However, the Huntmaster had remotely disabled his room's keycard, and it gave nothing but rejections. I took my time coming after him, allowing the poor fool plenty of time to test the key over and over before I walked too close for comfort, and he bolted. I let him get around the corner, and then slipped into one of the fake doors next to his own. This door did not lead into a real hotel room, but rather a passageway allowing for easy navigation around the hotel. An electronic map in the passage gave me the guest's location, and I was able to appear in the foyer before he did, snarling in the full size of a wolf. Then, since I could get away with just about anything at the hotel, I turned back into my human form. He startled back, stumbling over himself and stammering in fear. At this moment, I lunged in for the bite. His blood was ripe and filled with adrenaline making it rich and savory. There is nothing that compares to live dining. Once I had my fill, I slipped back into the elevator. It was only a few minutes before dawn at this point, and I narrowly avoided the daylight. The scene in the foyer was messy, as I did not bother to be neat in my feeding. Normally I would have had to clean up after myself, but the hotel covers all such matters. I returned to Chaz and found that he too had made a mess of himself feeding. He was still sucking on the waiter's neck when I returned, sitting in a pool of blood. He sheepishly took a napkin and cleaned his face upon my arrival, 
but I merely laughed and explained that I had done much of the same upstairs. The man himself. With the food out of the way, it is time to discuss my interview and dinner with Chaz Ambrose. Chaz was nothing but a consummate gentleman. The entirety of my visit was centered around proper host relations, and Chaz did not disappoint. He was there to welcome me when I arrived at the hotel, and was early before our dinner appointment. Although we had a long discussion over our dinner, it was mostly over the food and casual conversation. The bulk of our discussion was finished after I was done with my live hunting in the upstairs. Ambrose, the brand as a whole, is radically different from what it used to be a few years ago. Why? We've gone stale as a brand. So long of not trying anything new, or just doing the same old, same old. I'm surprised we got as far as we did with it, given how run-of-the-mill it was getting at the end. I decided I want to start pushing the envelope, breaking new ground. And this location ties into that. Oh yes, absolutely. Hemovores, vampires, bloodsuckers, an entire race of people defined by the need to eat. And we specialize in that. It's an untapped market, but it's one without a lot of development. There was plenty of room to expand, innovate, and start trying new material. I could finally break free of my shell and start doing what I really wanted to do. It was truly a wonderful experience. This is the first major establishment of its type, and I was able to be as experimental as I wanted with the menu. That's everything that I've ever wanted as a chef. The ability to take from the past when it inspires me, but not have to worry about it as a cage. To be as free as I pleased. I have to commend your selections. <laughs> Why, thank you. I put a great deal of care into choosing everything that was served here. All of the bloods have been personally vetted by myself. Well, not all of them, but I've gone over them and made sure they are up to par. And the food took a lot of fine-tuning, but I'm very happy with how that came out. Lots of long hours in the kitchen. Got fairly messy at times. That blood list. How did you acquire so many choices? Well, you have to draw on a lot of sources to get something like that. Make the right deals, get the right hunters, bribe a few blood banks. Your blood, I remember distinctly. It was one in a game of chance with one of those fairies. Don't ask us how much we lost to get our hands on a few liters of that. Nothing in terms of money, but it wasn't cheap. But oh, so worth it. Are there any future plans you could tell us about? As a matter of fact, there is. This is a bit of an exclusive story, but we'll be rolling out a cookbook in a few months. Haven't told anybody about this, but the working title is Ambrosia. It has all your favorite recipes from Ambrose restaurants, along with tips on where to acquire some of the rarer ingredients. In fact, here's an advanced copy. At this point, Chaz handed me a loosely bound manuscript copy of Ambrosia, containing dozens of unique recipes perfected by Ambrose restaurants. The details are all proprietary just now, but it will be well worth the purchase when it hits the shelves in a few months. We spent most of the rest of the dinner discussing the options within, Chaz pointing out some of his favorites. Soon enough, it was time to call our dinner to a close, and we left our table. There was, however, one small detail I must mention. After the end of our interview, I walked around the hotel briefly with Chaz, as he pointed out many of the details that went into the design. When we reached the elevator bay, he turned to me and bid his goodbyes. Immediately, I tried to stop him. By now, it was fully dawn outside, and the elevator opened into the sunlight. I warned Mr. Ambrose that he would disintegrate if he went up, and begged him not to take the elevator. He simply laughed and got in. I ran over to the check-in desk and forced the attendant to let me watch the security feeds. I watched as Chaz rode to the top of the elevator, only to exit into the above-ground portion of the hotel. In fear, 
I watched as he walked outside, stepping out into the light, fully expecting that I would be watching him die. And yet, nothing happened. He exited the building and stood in broad daylight without any consequence. He simply got into his car and drove away. I have since learned that Mr. Ambrose is not a vampire in any sense. He is not an undead. He is just a mortal man. I have heard this from many vampires I know, and some have used their unnatural senses to check his vitals. He is nothing other than a regular human. Normal. Just like everybody else. Except, humans don't have eyes that glow in the dark. Except humans can't drink liter after liter of blood without vomiting it all back up in short order. Except humans can't bite a person's neck to draw blood. But he isn't a vampire. Despite all the evidence, he's a vampire. So what did I dine with? Was it really Chaz? And if it was, how did he pull off the act so well? Overview Food is one of those great things that we all truly miss from our days alive, so cruelly denied to us by our fate. The meals served by Ambrose Transylvania are excellent and will capture the convivial rituals of dining that you have not experienced since you drew breath. The restaurant will make you feel alive again, as if you came back from the dead. As for the interview section of this review, Chaz Ambrose remains as mysterious of a restaurateur as ever. Although I was able to catch a brief glimpse into his inner workings during my brief interview, the man is a strange enigma who continues to captivate the food world. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's move on to looking at a couple of SCPs that the Foundation has managed to recover from Ambrose locations, starting with SCP-4554. This is an unbranded, black, automatic drip coffee machine that has been heavily modified. The filter basket has been replaced with a complex quartz lens array held together with struts formed of aluminum, brass, and electrum. The reservoir has been replaced with copper pipes and is cooled to approximately negative 20 degrees Celsius by unknown means. The warming plate has been replaced with a granite plate, and the boiler is non-functional, along with other unlisted modifications. Upon powering and activating the machine, provided the machine is directly exposed to sunlight, the average light intensity directly above it will increase by approximately 50 lumens, and 500 seconds later, the carafe will begin to fill with a pale orange liquid. Once full, the machine will deactivate, and the liquid can be poured into any suitable container. The liquid emits a constant low-level light and behaves as a low-viscosity fluid, it may be consumed by humans with no negative effects, and in fact, those who consume it report improved moods, with tests showing greatly increased vitamin D levels. Subjects suffering from psoriasis and similar conditions of the skin showed immediate relief from symptoms. The liquid is physically odorless, although subjects near to it report the smell of warmed oranges but whether that's a property of the liquid or a placebo effect has yet to be proven. Consuming more than one liter of the liquid is hazardous in most cases due to hypercalcemia from vitamin D overdose and causing the skin, eyes, and immune system to become damaged in ways consistent with overexposure to light. The effect is entirely consistent with regular effects of sunburn despite the vastly different causes, 
and how this is possible without causing disproportionate damage to internal organs remains to be determined. The machine was recovered from an Ambrose location by MTF Lambda 14, One Star Reviewers, who are the primary team responsible for handling Ambrose restaurants. Documents recovered from the raid indicate the existence of other instances of the machine, and that Ambrose possesses some means to produce more of them as needed, with the liquid being sold as a beverage to customers of the restaurant. Next we have SCP-4814, the collective designation for nine trees that are biologically similar to standard human women, in all manners except form. Each is approximately two meters in diameter and six meters tall, with radiography confirming the presence of functioning human organs, some of them possessing multiples of each. Each instance has varying skin tones, eye colors, and hair colors, with orifices found in excess and on different parts of the body. The entities are unable to speak, despite possessing the necessary organs. They respond to outside stimulus, and are capable of slight movement, able to twist their trunks and stretch their branches with little stress though they cannot uproot themselves or swing their limbs. Testing has shown that attempts to do so are incredibly painful, as exhibited by groaning, bruising, and hyperventilation. 4814 was recovered when Foundation agents tailed a cargo van in Chicago that had acted as a delivery vehicle for an Ambrose restaurant steakhouse, for the dual purpose of tracking the supplier and inhibiting the business location's ability to serve. In doing so, five locations were discovered to be involved in distribution of anomalous goods, including the farm housing the trees. All suppliers were detained, and their facilities were seized by the Foundation. An investigation revealed that the trees were being cared for by a Owen Maxson, a certified butcher who supplied several foodstuffs to the Ambrose location. A letter was found in Maxon's P.O. box, sent from an Ambrose staff member, telling him that they're putting an end to this partnership, as the quality of his supply has been degrading. Not because of its physical quality, as the meat is firm and juicy and by all means edible, but the problem lies within what's left after the butchering. Their Chicago location prides itself on its flavors of the soul selections, and the residual soul of this meat is tainted and dark and malicious, likely an attribute of the father. Killing them was the best choice, and putting them in the mouths of patrons should not have been an option. He recommends that Maxon seek professional help, as this was a mistake and a line that shouldn't have been crossed. Those women have it hard enough. Later, four of the trees became visibly engorged in their lowest branches, while another two formed large lumps along their trunks. These abnormalities, combined with the previous symptoms of nausea and menstrual spotting, confirm that six of the trees are pregnant. So yeah. That's pretty horrible, but at least the folks over at Ambrose have a line that they won't cross, and overall seem like a decent organization, at least in comparison to most other groups of interest. There is one last article I'd like to bring up though, and that's actually an adoption poster from Wilson's Wildlife Solutions for a pot-bellied pig named Pearl. The poster states that She's looking for a loving home in the Three Portland's boring region, and she just needs a pen, some mud, and some water, and she'll be as happy as can be. It's said that pot-bellied pigs will eat nearly anything, as long as it's remotely edible, but in that regard, she's a bit out of the ordinary. She can actually eat anything, even if it's not edible, from wood, to metal, to dirt. Nothing hurts her or her insides, and in fact, she can't ever be full, 
although no one knows what happens to all the stuff she eats. If you have a pig pen, she'll be the best food disposal you've ever seen. Some more facts about Pearl include that she has a great sense of smell, she loves to go on walks, she has a preference for wood chips and tinfoil, while she hates ceramics and candy. Notes from her foster parents show that Pearl is one of the most loving, intelligent animals they've ever had the pleasure of fostering, and it broke their heart when they had to give her up. Her dietary needs may be unusual, but this critter is the most adoring companion you'll ever have, with her being compared more to a dog than a pig. She's always up for a leashed walk, and even likes to cuddle if she saw that her owners are upset. Unfortunately, she was eating them out of house and home, and if they didn't give her snacks, she turned to anything else, with one morning having eaten half her own pen. Later, Diane Wilson sends a message to an individual with the initials CA, and thanks them from the bottom of her heart for adopting Pearl. She's been her main caretaker for a little under a year now, and seen her get passed over for adoption so many times. Pigs have an undeserved reputation for being dirty and unsanitary, and it takes someone really special to look past that muddy exterior and see Pearl's heart of gold inside. Later though, when Diane follows up to ask how Pearl is doing, we're provided with an announcement of Ambrose Restaurants presenting Swine and Dine, a unique one-time-only dining experience. For the past several months, Ambrose has been preparing this prized specimen for consumption. The animal's stomach was originally considered to be an endless pocket dimension, but experiments revealed the truth. What goes in must come out. The delicacies that it has been filling itself with for the past few months will balloon out into a cornucopia of flavors just as you cut into the mouth-wateringly soft and juicy pork. Have no fear of conscience, though, as Ambrose Restaurants has made sure the meat is all organic and locally sourced. It's been served by Chef Chaz Ambrose. So, Ambrose Restaurants is generally on the up and up, not really doing anything that any other restaurant doesn't do, just dealing with anomalous foods, outside of their Transylvania location, I suppose. Sure, they have lines that they won't cross, but they won't let something like emotions over a lovable pig get in the way of a great meal. Ambrose Restaurants is a pretty small, simple, and fun group of interests. They won't ever really be involved in any high-stakes, apocalyptic scenarios, most likely, but they're an organization that adds a lot of flavor, pun intended, to the SCP universe. <laughs>